You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90min.com. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeu, coming to you live shortly after the conclusion of Rangers 2, Arsenal 2 in the Gunners' final game of their pre-season tour of Scotland. Um, we've had a little bit of a running joke over the last few days about kind of background noise during the podcast, haven't we? whether it be dogs barking outside, whether it be people deciding to mow their lawn at the minute, I pressed live. And the root of this issue is it's just too bloody hot here in London right now for me to leave all the doors and the windows closed uh, and sit in the man cave, essentially in the studio and record these podcasts. So I've made the decision today on a day that it is 28 degrees here in London, which is hot for us here. You know, there'll be some of you in other parts of the world that don't really feel uh, that that is uh, that big of a deal. But it is really hot by London standards. You probably can hear the fan in the background during this one as well. But I make no apologies because it is sweltering hot and I'm not melting for anyone. So <laughs> uh, now that we got that out of the way, let's get into the game. It finished a 2-2 draw and it was an opportunity for Arsenal fans to get a first look at the new signing Nuno Tavares, of course, the uh, young man has come in from Benfica in a position that many of us feel is going to be as a, a backup to Kieran Tierney throughout the course of the season. And I thought he did quite well. I, I really did. I thought, you know, we've talked a lot about Tavares sort of since the the kind of, um, you know, the signing and the links. And we talked a lot about his athleticism and a lot about uh, the fact that maybe he's a little bit raw at times, a little bit rash in some of his decision-making. I don't think you saw any of that today. And I know it's a preseason friendly and you shouldn't get completely and utterly carried away, but he did look composed. He did look quite aware of his positioning. Um, obviously had Balogun playing ahead of him on that left-hand side, which meant that he was given kind of the freedom of that left wing, which is something you feel that fullbacks in this Arsenal side under Mikel Arteta are normally going to get because of his sort of preference towards having kind of inverted forwards on either side. Um, so, yeah, I thought I thought Tavares gave a, a really good display. Obviously, scored a goal on his Arsenal debut, and that's always a brilliant way to start your career at any club. But what I thought was really good about the goal was it showed kind of the things that we'd been talking about in the build-up, didn't it? The athleticism uh, to kind of get into the right areas relentlessly without fail to be able to do it regularly. Uh, the strength that he showed in the lead up to that goal as well. Obviously, Tavernier probably should do a little bit better in the lead up to that, but Nuno Tavares still has to be in the right place at the right time and then have uh, not just the athleticism and the strength to get away from the defender, but also the kind of footballing intelligence to take that touch in field as he does onto his right foot and uh, Nuno Tavares said in his interview, didn't he, when he joined the club, that he can shoot with his right foot. And there you go. Uh, he proved it today because he finished that really, really well. Uh, stayed very composed. Uh, I know it's not a high-pressure situation in a preseason friendly, but nevertheless, you can only judge him on what we've seen. And I thought he did really well. Gave a good account of himself. Uh, so fair play to Nuno Tavares. Now, I mentioned following Balogun. He started the game uh, up in attack. And it was weird because in the build-up to the game, I was talking about, you know, whether it was going to be uh, sort of, I was talking with a friend while I was watching it, is it going to be a 4-4-2 with Balogun and Aubameyang up front? Or are we going to see Balogun or Aubameyang kind of shoehorned into that left wing position? And I think Balogun was kind of playing a bit of a hybrid role, wasn't he? Between a left winger, uh, but then also drifting in field to get involved. And I actually didn't really think that suited him. I've got to say, we've kind of hyped him up a lot. Young player, lots of potential. Someone the club were desperate to tie down to a new contract. They've done that now, which is obviously good news. But then I don't think you help him when you play him out of position in a game like this. Now, 
Granted, when there are senior forwards at a football club, the likes of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Alexander Lacazette, as a young forward trying to make the breakthrough, there are going to be times where your opportunities are going to come in a position that is slightly outside of your comfort zone, that a position that not isn't necessarily your best. And I think we've seen players have to do that and players have to kind of thrive on that. You know, if you cast your mind back to when Bukayo Saka broke through, he was playing as a left-back, which isn't his position by any stretch of the imagination. We've seen Emil Smith-Rowe have to operate from a flank in order to get himself in the team. And to a degree, as a young player, you know, you just have to shut up, put up and get on with it and take that opportunity that has been presented to you. But in Balogun's case, where for me anyway, and, I, and granted, I didn't watch the under-23s every single week, over the last couple of seasons. But in my opinion, he is an out-and-out centre-forward. And I think he struggled in the early stages of the game to understand what that role entails, to get involved in the game as much as he possibly could have, and to kind of work those channels, but also get up close to Aubameyang, who was playing through the middle. So it's not a criticism of the young man. Um, Mikel Arteta is the one that chose to pick him there. And I'm not going to go mad uh, about Mikel Arteta doing that because it is a preseason friendly. It is about largely building up fitness, getting players up to speed, up to scratch. So it isn't the biggest deal in the world, but it's something I observed in the first half, and I thought I'd I'd mention because um, yeah, I felt I felt a little bit sorry for Balogun. I got to be honest. I want to talk a little bit about Pierre Emerick Aubameyang because I can see already before I've even got onto the subject, there are lots of you uh, talking about Pierre Emerick Aubameyang's. Uh, performance. Some of you being quite critical of him in the live chat box. Others kind of leap into his defence and saying this is about fitness. This is pre-season. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has done plenty in his career to suggest that he is still a very, very good striker. Uh, but he did look out of sorts today and he did have a couple of really good chances. There was one in the first half uh, on around about nine minutes where he was gifted an opportunity, wasn't he? And it's the kind of area from which you'd normally... Um, you know, you'd normally finish it and you'd normally uh, put it in the back of the net or see him doing that. And he didn't really. It was a little bit of a kind of half-hearted finish. And there was another opportunity he had later on in the first half off the back of Emil Smith-Rowe uh, shot that was saved where he just kind of casually swings a boot at it. And if he does a little bit more and if he takes it a little bit seriously and he's a little bit more focused, you feel like that should be rifled into the back of the net. He's given a goalkeeper the chance or the defender, whoever it was, to to make the block. Uh, but Aubameyang's got to be a little bit more ruthless. And look, had his performances last season not been a little bit below par at certain points, then I don't think we'd even be talking about this now. We'd be just putting this down to pre-season friendly. It doesn't mean all that much. Maybe he's not sharp enough. But I think this kind of reaction to Aubameyang and what we're seeing of him in pre-season is a bit of an overflow from what happened last season. I think that's probably fair to say. Um, Live Fit in the chat is uh, responding to my comment when I said that Balogun's got to shut up and put up with it. Um, he said, wow, see what it's gotten to. All this to protect the clueless manager. Maybe my choice of words was not quite right. But the point is that when you're a young player, and you're being given an opportunity in the first team, whether it be in a friendly, whether it be in the Europa League, the Europa Bloody Conference League, the FA Cup, the Carabao Cup, you have to try and take that opportunity. A young striker who has not yet proven himself at the highest level, at Premier League level, has no divine right to walk into a side and, and oust experienced, accomplished and proven forwards. I'm just saying that I would have preferred to have seen Balogun played through the middle, but it wasn't to be. And, and you know, this happens at a lot of clubs. You see it so many times. You see players being sort of moved slightly out of position so that they can get an opportunity, so they can get a go, so they can get experience. It's not to defend the manager at all. I just think that there are two types of players. There are your Bukayo Sakos, uh, Saka, Sako, Bukayo Sakas who get on with it, get their head down, make an effort to learn the position that they need to learn um, and, and take the opportunity to impress and show what they can do. And then there are Ainsley Maitland-Nileses who complain about it and put themselves into a position where they're seen in a bad light. So I've got no 
issue with Foller and Balogun, and I haven't really got an issue with Arteta. I just would have preferred to see Balogun operating through the middle a little bit more. Uh, so I don't know why you've blown that comment out of proportion. But anyway, moving on. Uh, moving on from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as well. Arsenal obviously went a goal down. Um, poor, poor defending, again, from a set piece. Arsenal, you know, have have, have done this throughout pre-season so far. Um, it was uh, El Nenny who Leon Balogun pulled away from to get the header off. And I don't know at this moment in time if I'm actually worried about it because it, I keep saying it is pre-season. I think the guys in the studio on the Arsenal coverage, Perry Groves and, and Adrian Clark, made a really great point around this when they said that this may be changes and this maybe is a problem because of the changes in personnel because we don't have a settled back four in these matches. We're chopping and changing it. And then we're chopping and changing it in-game as well. That does lead to confusion. Also, when the opponent makes six or seven substitutions as well, you can often lose your man, etc., etc. So I don't know if we should be making too much of it, but it is a bit of a concern. And um, Arsenal obviously have brought in a set-piece coach uh, recently. Um, and, and hopefully that helps. Hopefully that assists us in, in defending them as well as attacking them. I just... A little tiny part of me is worried looking at that, but also I'm trying not to overreact based on the environment in which these games are being played and the fact that they are friendlies and not a great deal more than that. Uh, as we've already touched on the Nuno Tavares goal, that was obviously the equaliser for Arsenal. And to be fair, Arsenal dominated the game from then on. I thought Arsenal were really good, actually. Created a number of chances. We've spoken about the ones of Bamiyang Spurn. Arsenal were completely dominant in possession. And this was a much higher standard of opponent than Hibernian. We were talking about the Scottish champions here. Now, I know off the back of the Hibernian game, I did kind of say that for me, actually, the performance was better than what the results said. And because of it being a friendly, I wasn't going to go mad on the way that that game ended. And I thought there was more of the same today in terms of a good performance, a good display. And when Arsenal went 2-1 down off the back of Itton's header, um, after Hector Bellerin kind of lost him and Kieran Tierney maybe could have done a little bit better as well in defending that set piece. I thought that, um, I thought that actually, well, at the time I was trying to kind of gather my thoughts and be a little bit calm about it and, and think about what my kind of reaction was going to be and takeaway from the game was going to be if we did go on to lose it by two goals to one. And again, for me, uh, it wasn't going to be the overreaction that you're seeing in some quarters. I was very kind of level-headed about it while I was watching it. I'm delighted that we got the equaliser in the end and we'll come on to talk about that. But it was never a situation in which I was angry or irate about. I guess in this kind of game, you're looking for the performance and the fitness more than the actual result. You know, if that happens in the Premier League, you dominate a game and you concede a couple of really soft goals, then the jury is is free to come out and, you know, have a go and try and pick it apart and try and understand what exactly went wrong. But in this instance, in a friendly, I wasn't making a big deal of it. But there was a part of me that was disappointed because I knew what the reaction would be. And the reaction to us drawing even has been ludicrous from some sections of our fan base. I, I just don't understand it. I mean, if you are a person who gets so wound up, frustrated, irate, disappointed, allows it to spoil your day. And, and I'm talking about in the context of a friendly, then why do you bother watching Arsenal if it makes you that unhappy and that frustrated? I mean, yes, I'd prefer to win our preseason friendlies, but if we're getting out of them what we need, which is fitness, sharpness, uh, a return to the habits that come with playing matches, who really actually cares? I don't. I genuinely don't. I might say something different when we're playing against Spurs in the friendly that we've got scheduled ahead of the new season, but that's because it's Spurs. And they're so sad that they will find a way of trying to make them um, they should, they'll, they'll find a way of trying to make a big deal out of it, uh, even in a friendly. But yeah, um, I, I I don't get it. I, I don't get it, honestly. I, I just don't get it. I don't get the overreaction. A few 
more individual performances I want to talk about. I want to talk about Eddie and Ketia, and I thought he looked quite lively when he came on the pitch, scored a really, really good goal. Eddie and Ketia has always been really, really good about pressing people um, and winning the ball back high up in the pitch, and that's ultimately where his goal came from. He did really well to win the ball for Arsenal and then he did brilliantly to cut back inside and strike at the near post. Really impressive finish from him. I thought Emil Smith-Rowe was very, very good again. Very sharp, carries the ball brilliantly. Um, you know, always makes the right decisions with the ball at his feet, in my opinion. Probably should have scored, forced the save out of McGregor uh, down to his right. But that, for me, he probably should have done a little bit more with. The shot was a little bit lacklustre lacking a bit of venom in it. I know what he tried to do. He tried to place the ball in the far corner. Um, and obviously it was with his weaker left foot, which, you know, probably makes the task a lot harder for the young man, but he still probably should have scored for me. Good performance from him though. Ainsley Maitland-Niles came on in the centre of midfield. Again, it was a bit meh. Um, you know, it was a bit meh. You know, I, I don't really get it. Uh, I don't really get the hype around him and, and the whole centre midfield role, if I'm honest. Um, who else did I, did I want to touch on uh, from the kind of individual perspective? Rob Holding, who has gone for the Pascal Seagan look. Um, it was about time he um, he took the plunge, to be honest. So fair play uh, to Rob Holding for that. Uh, Pablo Marie played in the heart of the defence. Say Kalasinac came on in the second half as a centre-back. I don't think he did too badly. Kieran Tierney, great to see him back in the side. Of course, uh, back early from his summer holidays, which is a testament to the lad's attitude. So he, uh, it's great to see him uh, back in the picture as well. And look, as I said, the performance was okay. Um, we looked sharper than we did against Hibernian. Naturally, when you make so many changes, you disrupt the flow of a team. And, and that was evident again. It was evident in the second half. It happens. That's that's part of preseason football. And I guess for me, it's just, you know, this was an improvement on the Hibernian game, I felt. And the Hibernian game wasn't actually that bad, um, contrary to kind of what the reaction said from the Arsenal fan base. It's just for me, we're in a place now where we're preparing for the new season. We've got a month to go until that new season kicks off, just under a month. And you need to, as a manager, as a coach, what is really important about preseason is you need to find a way of working your preparations in such a way that your team peak for the start of the season. That's, or, or get as close to the peak as possible. The peak comes a little bit later on in the campaign, agreed when you're kind of more fit and stuff. But you you need to manage their fitness and your preseason in a way, as I say, that sees your team peak as close to the kickoff as possible. Peaking an hour, uh, an hour, fucking, I'm all over the place. Peaking a month before the big kickoff wouldn't be right. Equally, we want to see good performances now. And it's kind of like you're in between the rock and a hard place. There is so much scrutiny on Mikel Arteta's Arsenal right now because of the way we sort of failed to compete for the top four last season. I think the issue with that now is it's probably clouding a lot of people's judgment when it comes to preseason. And it is causing, for me, an over-the-top reaction to games that don't matter. It's causing an over-the-top uh, kind of outcry of disappointment and frustration from supporters that isn't justified in my personal view. I, I just, for me, I don't, I don't get it. You know, if we start the Premier League season and we're not up to scratch, I'd completely get all the criticism. You'd sit there and you'd say, well, the preseason wasn't very good. And as a result, we were not ready and we were not anywhere near our peak when the season started. And therefore, I don't know, we lost the first couple of games. But until you get to that point, until Arsenal are closer to that peak, until Arsenal go into probably the last couple of friendlies, I think it is difficult to make any real judgments on, on where we are as a team. I think a lot of you said in the chat early on in the show that, yes, Nuno Tavares looked OK, but it was too early to tell if there was a good player in there. Well, it's too early to tell how Arsenal are going to be next season as well. And um, I think that's important. I, I think that's really important. Let me go over to the live chat. 
because some of you are going at it in there. Uh, disappointed about the performance. Michelle says, Harry, the games matter for momentum. Michelle, they don't. They really don't. Preseason games do not matter for momentum. After this podcast, I will go online and I will find you preseason results, right? From seasons in which we done terribly. Okay, preseason results from seasons in which we've done terribly. And you'd have looked at those results at the time and said, oh, Arsenal are, gonna, are on course to have a great season. And equally, I can find you preseason results where we were really poor, but had some of our best Premier League campaigns. It, the, the two have no correlation whatsoever. History, facts tell us that. So to, to kind of pretend that these games are important and that they mean something, they really don't. They really, really don't, honestly. Um, and I'm not saying this, Inter says in the chat that I'm trying to tell Arsenal fans how they should feel about the team. No, absolutely not. Feel how you want to feel. I'm talking about how I feel here. That's what I do on this podcast. I talk about how I feel and I don't feel that we can gauge much from the preseason, especially at this point in the preseason, the very early parts of the preseason. You cannot take these games as an indication of where Arsenal will be next season. You cannot say that the momentum is key because it isn't. It's why, as some bloke, great name in, in, in the comments, says, if momentum really mattered, managers wouldn't pick fringe players. Exactly. Um, Ekene says, even the players play with that in mind, that these games don't matter. Exactly, because their remit, their remit, their, their you know, their task, their desired outcome from these games is to get fit. That's what it is. It's to get fit at this point. You get to the back end of the preseason and you start to focus a little bit more on shapes, on formations, on systems. And you would probably see um, a more settled side starting the games than you do now. Um, but yeah, that's just this kind of, that's the way it is. And I, I, there's no evidence to suggest that preseason has an impact on on your season's performance. And some of you saying kind of, uh, we'll see. Uh, Machine says, clip this, clip it, mate. By all means, go for it. Uh, clip it, share it all over Twitter, do whatever you want. It doesn't bother me. Um, you know, but there's, there's no correlation between preseason results and the season performance because history tells us that it's proof. There's proof in the pudding. Uh, so there we go. Right. Um, Let's get some of your questions in the live chat box. I'm conscious of kind of addressing the, the whole moaning thing too much, but it is something that really irritates me because it's like some of you enjoy getting pissed off about Arsenal. Like it's like you, you, you use it to vent your anger maybe from other places. And it just, when there is a reason to be outraged, then by all means be outraged. And if, as, as Ms. Shane says, we'll see, um, in in December, if in December we're talking about the same issues, then by all means, pull him out, dig him out on it. But you're having a go at a manager before the season's even started. You're having a go at certain players when they've just come back from their holidays and they're in the process of getting back up to fitness. It is just so unnecessary, so unnecessary. Uh, right, let's get... Um, some of your questions in the chat, pop them in there with a cue at the beginning. Let's see where we are in terms of likes right now. Uh, I can see there are 185 of you watching us right now live on YouTube. Let's see if we can get uh, up to around about 75 likes. We've got 38 on the board so far. Just while you get your questions in the chat box, just want to quickly remind you all that this podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. For all your male grooming needs, head over to manscaped.com and you will not be disappointed. There are a fantastic range of products on sale so that you can get your, you know, down there sorted. Um, you never know. You might get, a, you, you might need it. You might be on a date. Might go better than you planned. Who knows? As uh, so get involved um, over on manscaped.com and if you enter our discount code, which is 90min20, you will receive 20% off of your order as well as free shipping. So we thank them for their very kind sponsorship of the podcast. And uh, as I, I've been saying over the last few days, I know some of you are buying from them, which is fine. It's great. It helps us. It helps them get involved. Uh, check them out. Right. 
let's see uh what we've got in the chat box i can even see people arguing in the chat box it's just so unnecessary so unnecessary don't worry about it um what else have we got here uh i'll, I'll also i'll not tolerate people getting like horrible to other people in the chat like you're all here for to watch the podcast like it's great to have the discussions and all that but digging each other out is just pointless let's leave it don't want to see it um very nice question this one to start off from again uh, how are you harry i'm good i'm good i sat in the sun uh enjoyed my lunch whilst watching the arsenal with a nice ice cold beer uh so yeah i'm good i'm good can't complain uh, what else have we got here in the chat box? Let me pick out a couple of other bits. Josh Hunter, uh, what did you think of Reese Nelson? Um, Reese Nelson can sometimes look lively with the ball at his feet, but I always feel like he's missing that final part, like whether it be the pass, the shot, the the beating the man. I, I always feel like he's just a little bit shy. And I, I'd probably put a lot of that down to a lack of confidence more than him not having the ability. I think this is a player who was very much on the peripheries last season. Probably does need to head out of the club, uh, albeit on loan for a little bit to kind of build himself back up again to get the game time that his talent deserves because he's undoubtedly a talented boy. I do question whether he'll make it at Arsenal. I do think there's maybe too much competition ahead of him. You know, in the wide positions you're talking about, uh, the likes of, you know, First of all, Bamiang will probably occupy one of those positions at various points in the season. I'm talking about Pepe, Saka, Martinelli, Smith Rowe can play out there as well. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those where I think the boy's got talent. I don't doubt that for a second. I just feel like we're not quite getting the most out of him right now. But equally, as a manager, how can you when Bukayo Saka, Pepe, etc., are playing so well? How do you? justify moving them out of the picture to get this young lad in and give him the game time without Europa League as well this season it's going to be even more difficult to do so and so I would move him on uh, albeit on loan for that reason but talented boy just hasn't quite reached that point yet in my opinion Ibrahim Saeed says thoughts on Joe Willock in a double pivot um, not a big fan I've got to be honest I'm not a massive fan of Joe Willock in the double pivot because what is good about Joe Willock in my opinion, or what is best about Joe Willock is his uh, ability to get into the opposition's penalty area and impact the game that way. When he plays in the double pivot, I feel like he's got too much tactical responsibility. He's got to be too positionally disciplined, which then kind of handicaps him in what he is actually good at. So for me, I don't want to see Joe Willock as part of a double pivot. Do I want to see him as a number 10 though? Not really. Um, Joe Willock is one of those players when we keep talking about the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-3-3. I think Joe Willock is a 4-3-3 midfielder where he can do a bit of both, but isn't so rigid in terms of his positioning, in terms of having to defend. And Joe Willock for me lets us down a little bit in that sense. And it's not a fault of Joe Willicks. You know, we saw him at Newcastle where he plays in a different type of midfield. He was a lot more effective. I just think the fit is not quite right. He's not a number 10 and he's not a number six either. He's almost like a number eight. And if Arsenal are going to continue to play him with essentially that double pivot, then I don't think he, he really fits in there. I've got to be honest. Um, what else have we got here? Some of you asked, am I Arteta in again? Um, no, look... I, it's a hard one with Arteta, right? Because when you look at the overall picture, you know, I was very, very upset after we got knocked out of the Europa League by Villarreal. And those of you who were watching the show at the time would have remembered me saying, you know, if he was sacked now, I wouldn't be able to kind of complain about it because it was an unacceptable result. It was Arsenal failing in the one route they had remaining to potentially get themselves back in the Champions League. I'm in a place now when it comes to Mikel Arteta, of he's going to be here, so I'm going to support him. But if the season starts poorly, I can understand why there will be calls for him to be gone. And those calls can have good reason. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll respect that opinion and I'll respect that view. I can't respect that view when it's off the back of preseason friendlies, though. I, I just can't do it. With players... Key players still missing from the squad. You know, Bukayo Saka's not there. Bern Leno's not there. You know, there are others as well. Lucas Torreira's coming back. You know, 
because of all those things, Gabrielle's injured as well, because of all those things and the fact that it's pre-season and the fact that these games are nothing more really than a fitness exercise at the moment, it's impossible to, to, to kind of decide your stance on Arteta one way or the other based on these few games. I think you've got to see what happens next season now and you can want him out, but he's not going anywhere right now. So it's pointless, isn't it? So sometimes as supporters, I think we forget what the the key thing of being a supporter is. What What is a supporter? A supporter is someone who supports in good times and bad. And I think that sometimes we, we lose our way a bit in that sense and we get into this kind of, I'm going to be outraged about everything I can possibly be outraged about kind of mood and kind of zone. And I think you see in a lot of that and to see that come through in preseason friendlies is even more of a sign that that is a problem within our fan base. I'm sorry, people are going to get offended and not like that, but that's the way I feel. If you can be outraged about a game that doesn't mean jack shit, you can be disappointed, you can be frustrated, but if you can be outraged and go on and on and on about it for ages off the back of a game that doesn't matter that we all know is a a fitness exercise then that for me just highlights that problem within our fan base and it is a problem and it's a problem that was born out of certain people and I'm not even going to go into it now but it was a it's a problem that's born out of certain people being given a platform to be overreactionary and over the top and and you're now seeing the the consequences of those people being given that platform filtering down to other fans who I bet you before those certain people were on these kind of platforms doing that type of thing were nowhere near as reactionary to results, to managerial decisions and to player performances as they are now. And I, I, people are going to get pissed off by that and offended by that. Honestly, I don't care because I get fed up of it hearing it all the time. Um, what else have we got here? Um, uh, Rydog, great comment. The Arteta agenda is so irritating. Like, if you want to show objectivity, at least mention the improved defense and finished to last season, both positives, but never mentioned by the agenda driven. Absolutely, completely agree. Uh, let's go to, um, Let's go to this one from Jovan. Uh, I'm going to ignore some of the stuff in the comments now because it is. It's, I'm not going to keep answering the same questions over and over again uh, because we're just wasting the time that we have on the show. Um, thoughts on Cedric? Do we need a right back if we sell Bellerin? I, I've, I said it on the show earlier on today, Jovan. Uh, you might have missed it, though, about... Um, about uh, Cedric and about the situation at right back. And that I do think that Arsenal are going to want to strengthen in that position. But I think that if we get ourselves in a place where we're unable to do all of those deals and get all of those players in, I do think that will be the one that's sacrificed because as you mentioned, Cedric is a, a decent option. In my opinion, Callum Chambers is another decent option. Um, you know, I think that Maitland-Niles, if he's to stay at the club, is someone who could play there as well. Ben White can do that role. Uh, and and on that basis, you're probably looking at it and going, I think we've got enough to kind of get by. Uh, you know, it's again, it's an area I'd like us to improve in. It's an area I'd like us to invest in, but it's not an area that I think Arsenal will have at the top of the list of positions that they need to fix. And so if they get down to it, great. But if they don't, I don't think they'll be uh, overly concerned about that. Um, what else have we got? I've sparked a massive, uh, massive row, haven't I, in the chat? Uh, people sort of saying uh, that they're that I'm saying their opinions don't matter or or they're they're dumb. I'm not saying that. Your opinions are valid, whatever they are, even if I disagree with them. The problem is with the opinions is it's how you voice them, and it's how you, um, it's how you conduct putting them across. I think that I, I can listen to arguments that are the complete opposite to my beliefs and my thoughts. And if they're put away, uh, put across to me in the right way, respectfully and well thought out arguments, well thought out points. Like, it's no good saying this was the same shit that we saw last season. Well, what was the same about it? What what was the same about it? Was it the slow passing? Was it the defensive um 
shape? Was it the way we attacked? Maybe it was a bit lackluster at times. Is it that you don't rate this particular player? Is it that you don't like the way the manager's handling this particular situation? If you're going to make a, a, an argument about something, make the argument in a constructive way and make the argument in a way where you, whereby others can look at it. And even if they disagree with it, say, you know what? I disagree with it, but I think he's got some good points there. But to just go, oh, this shit, he's shit, manager shit, I'll tear her out. It's just that that is dumb. You're asking if I think if with saying your people are dumb, that is dumb to just sit there on every stream and go, I'll tear her out, I'll tear her out. I'll that is dumb. Put some thought behind why, share the reasons why, discuss it, and I'll happily take arguments on both sides of the fence if they're put across in the right way and there's something to discuss. If you're going to keep throwing at me, Arteta out, Arteta shit, this is the same shit as last season. I can't make a discussion out of that because there's nothing to discuss. Um, uh, Ansgar says, Harry, why is your focus on the negative feelings of people that want to see change? And why do you voice that at every chance? Um, it, it's exactly what I just said. I'm not going to repeat it. It's because I want people to do it in a way where they're actually thinking about it and they're actually, maybe they're thinking about it. I don't know what goes on in their heads, but put it across in a way whereby we can actually have a discussion about it. To want change is um, is understandable. You know, Arsenal as a football club are not in the place that we believe they should be they're not anywhere near as big as strong as we once were but a lot of the time as fans sometimes you have to acknowledge that you know your opinion isn't always the gospel my opinion is not always the gospel um you know and and i'm not i say my opinion and as i keep saying i'll open up to other sides of the argument and that's fine but you won't catch me on any podcast going, this guy's shit, this guy's shit, that guy's shit, get him out, he's crap, he's shit, get him out. Why? It, 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 what's constructive about that? I, I voice it because the chat box fills up with it all the time. And um, and I get it on Twitter all the time. You know, you can't, it's like people have lost the ability to have a sensible conversation about any subject without being the complete one extreme or the other. Why can't you think Arteta has done some things okay and acknowledge that he's done some things okay, because he has, but also acknowledge that he's made some mistakes? I think there's a middle ground to be found here. And there often is in an argument. But people nowadays in society, in the, the wider world, whether it's Brexit, whether it's COVID, there's always two extremes. Why has there got to be two extremes all the time? That for me is just is just over the top. Uh, let's change the subject a little bit. Gianfranco says, uh, are the Coke miners links reliable? Looks like a bargain. I I've got to be honest, Gianfranco, the only report um, or the only source I've seen that come from uh, was the one that we brought to you yesterday, the Telegraph in the Netherlands. Haven't seen it reported by anybody else necessarily. I've heard sort of rumours of the interest, but I haven't seen anything as concrete as that one. Um, so. Uh, will uh it's, it's hard for me to say how reliable it is if i'm if i'm completely honest i don't really know the source too well to give you an indication as to whether um you know it, it is normally a reliable source and I, i'd find that a bit difficult and i wouldn't want to lie to you uh but that's where i got it from that's where a lot of the reports that you've seen probably over the last sort of 24 48 hours have come from a stem from that the telegraph report in the netherlands right let's check out where we are on the likes we've got 222 of you watching us on youtube live right now but we've only got 64 likes so hit that like button if you haven't done so already um what else have we got what else have we got um jovan says what is the actual ideal partner for party as it does seem we are playing a 4-2-3-1. Yeah, interesting. Um, uh, the ideal partner is someone who is a little bit more positionally disciplined. I will sit in front of that back four a little bit more because Partey likes to have the shackles taken off him. I think that's where he thrives. When he 
does have to tuck in. He does, but he also needs that little bit more freedom to get forward, make things happen, get involved in the game. And um, I think for me, Granite Xhaka was someone that complimented him quite well. I think that Granite Xhaka got better as a result of having Thomas Partey next to him, but it looks like he's leaving the club. So I'm not saying I want, you know, I'm not saying that I don't want us to, to move Xhaka on. I've said it before. I think his time at the club has probably come to an end now and it's time to cash in. But I think the the, pro, the profile of the player that comes in to partner him has to be quite similar to that in the sense of drops deep, gets on the ball, comfortable receiving it from the back four. I know Xhaka wasn't always comfortable in doing that, but I think he adapted quite well later on in the way he used to drop deeper so that he was under less pressure. Um, I think that's important. I think someone who brings a lot of those qualities, but a little bit more mobility is uh, is what what would work well next to Partey. Listen, if you're playing a 4-2-3-1, that's the answer. If you're playing a 4-3-3, as I keep saying, then that changes things and you need a different different approach, in my opinion. But uh, thank you very much, mate, uh, for the question. Uh, what else have we got here in the chat? Um Oh, we're still we're still having the the argument. Um, we're still having the debate. Uh, Michelle saying his voice matters. No one said yours doesn't, mate. Nobody says your voice doesn't matter. Um, as I say, everybody's entitled to their opinion. All I'm saying is, your if your your opinion based on last season is fine. It's fair. You know, we weren't good enough. That's fine. And your opinion at the start of next season, if it's the same because we're not performing, that would be fair too. But to, to cast judgment on these preseason games, in my opinion, is is a nonsense, not needed. It's it's toxic. That is unhelpful. I mean, for I'll give you a prime example, right, of, of how toxicity can spill over and cause players problems. Right. Arthur Oconquo the other day. First appearance for Arsenal, first senior appearance for Arsenal makes a mistake early on. It was a mistake. He got it wrong. And as a result, Hibernian scored from the goal. The amount of tweets I saw on social media after that game and after that goal went in, in fact, of people saying, oh, my God, get this guy in the bin. Can't believe we've just given him a new contract. That is the kind of shit that players do see. Right. They might say, oh, I don't look at social media. Oh, I don't read the papers. How can you not nowadays in 2021 ever see anything that's written, said or spoken about? You will see it. You will come across it at some point. And does a young goalkeeper need that when we all know he's just made a mistake? It's an error of judgment. You know, I've had jobs in the past that I was very good at, but I never doesn't mean I never made mistakes in them. And I think that this that kind of thing needs to stop. It's it's so reactionary. And this is why when I say about the Arteta stuff, I find it really reactionary as well. You can think that Mikel Arteta is not the right manager for Arsenal without having to go, he's shit, he's shit, he's shit, he's shit, he's shit, week in, week out. Because I can guarantee you that Mikel Arteta knows more about football than me, than any of us in the chat, than anyone. Any one of us that's sitting on this side of the job who's just talking about it, it's easy to talk about something after it's happened, right? That is why I get annoyed with it because that negativity, it it spills over sometimes into things that can affect people. And I don't want to see any young kid who's worked incredibly hard. Listen, I'm I'm not a professional footballer, right? But I did get to a very, very good level. I was playing for a bit at a professional club at a young age, 16. And I sacrificed a lot to even get there. And I didn't make it. I wasn't good enough. Fine. Didn't make it. I'm not going to give you one of those fake stories about how I got an injury and it killed my career. No, I wasn't good enough. And I know how much a young kid of that kind of age, when, when trying to make that breakthrough, wants it how much it means to them, how much it can kill them if their confidence is knocked. I, at 16 years old, got released from a football club, from Leighton Orient Football Club, 
and who at the time were in the league. And I bawled my eyes out for days. 16-year-old, I wasn't a little kid. 16, 17-year-old bawling his eyes out because to me it meant the world and it felt like my world had come crashing down. So can you imagine going that step further like someone like Arthur Oconquo has to get to the point where he's lining up for Arsenal Football Club only to make a mistake and then have his name plastered all over social media with people telling him, saying that the club was stupid and idiots for giving him a new contract. Just when you're going to say things or tweet things, and this is not aimed directly at anyone in this particular chat or in this podcast, but when you're going to go over the top in your reaction of something, just think about it. Just pause for a minute and think about the impact of what you're saying on the person who's on the receiving end of it. That is my issue. That is my issue. Uh, Vik Shan says, at the end of the day, Harry, where do you see us finishing this season, in your opinion? I see Arsenal finishing in the top six. That's my prediction for next season. Um, that's uh, that's my prediction. And um, yeah, that's, that's where I think we'll finish. Uh, I really do. I think it's a good, I think it would be an improvement, obviously, on the eighth place finishes. But I also think it's a realistic target because I do think there are clubs that are still quite a way ahead of us. Your Man United's, your Liverpool's, your Man City's and your Chelsea's. And so the top four for me is going to be very difficult to break into. So if we can be in that next pack, then I think that's where Arsenal uh, probably should be right now. Um, LK says, Emery also knew more about football than us. I didn't see you defending you. Hypocrisy. I also didn't uh, call Emery every name under the sun. I said I didn't like his management style. I said I didn't think he was the right man for Arsenal. But if you can find a clip of me abusing Unai Emery or getting personal on Unai Emery, then uh, I would love you to produce that clip. Uh, I'd really uh, love to see that because I didn't abuse him. I didn't get personal. I just didn't believe in what he was doing. And there's no issue with you not believing in what Mikel Arteta is doing. But people have got to the point with Unai, with uh, Mikel Arteta where they're even talking about his bloody outfits and using that as some kind of stick to beat him with. You know, why does he dress like that? Who gives a shit how he dresses? Thomas Tuchel just won the Champions League. He turns up in a flipping tracksuit that looks like it's bought in Sports Direct every week. It doesn't matter what the manager's wearing, does it? And that's the point where people are then looking for silly things to pick on. And um, yeah, I didn't like Unai Emery and I was ultimately proved right uh, on that, you know, that, that I didn't think he was the right man for Arsenal. But there's there's one thing to, to not sort of believe in a manager. I never, though, at any point... Um, I never at any point sort of um, judged Unai Emery on preseason friendlies. So there you go. That's, which is where this whole discussion and debate all stemmed from. Uh, what else have we got in here? Um, in terms of your comments, have you got any more comments? If you've got any more questions, pop them in. Uh, Let's see what we've got here. Uh, some of you talking about Unai Emery in there. Uh, Ekene says, Harry doesn't read positive comments. He prefers to read the negative ones. I can only see negative ones in the chat. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen much positive. That's why I'm getting so wound up because um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see that, you know, I'm I'm trying to defend the fact that I think people are, are going OTT off the back of, of this display. We didn't even lose today, by the way. We didn't even lose. Uh, let's pick up this one from LK. Um, why is Saliba maltreated? It's very hard for us to say on this Saliba thing, because as I've said before, we don't really know what has gone on behind the scenes. We don't really know uh, at what level William Saliba is, because I I don't know about you guys, but I don't I didn't watch him every week in in France. I saw highlights, I saw bits and pieces, I read reports, but that doesn't always tell the full story. Um, I don't know. I think the only mistake for me that Arsenal made with William Saliba, and we discussed it on a show uh, earlier on in the week, was that I think he, I think he should have been sent out on loan. And we know that the paperwork was messed up. And that's the only mistake Arsenal made for me. 
Uh, other than that, to send him out on loan if you don't think he's ready, I don't think is an issue. I don't think it's a worry. I don't think it's a concern. I don't think it's him being mistreated. I think what was poor from the club was, as I say, not allowing, not making that loan go through, getting that wrong and ultimately leaving him as a kind of outsider for a few months. That was Arsenal's fault with William Saliba for me. And other than that, I haven't really got too much of an issue um, with uh, with the, the way things have panned out with William Saliba. He may go on to be a very good player for the Arsenal in the future, and he may not. You know, time will tell on that. Right, I'm going to leave it there because I'm conscious of getting dragged into um, into this this argument again about uh, people sort of being negative and all of that. And I apologize for that. I probably shouldn't have got dragged into it as much as I did. I think it happens to me quite a lot after matches because I've watched that match. I've seen a decent performance from Arsenal. I've seen some players getting some valuable minutes. I've seen some fringe players getting an opportunity to stake their case. And that for me, is all I'm really bothered about from a friendly. And obviously, clearly, to some of you, friendlies mean a lot more than that. Uh, to me, they don't. And uh, maybe that's a clash of opinion and a clash of view. But I kind of came away from it with a few positives. And I feel like the kind of negative crew have just jumped on the fact that we didn't win the game and are using it as a kind of fuel to pour on the flame that they started at the back end of the last season about Mikel Arteta and that flame fine and that argument and that debate was fine at the time but it's a clean slate new season let's see how it goes and I can't believe that with some people we're already at this point before a competitive ball has even been kicked so um yeah I'll leave it there before I get too into it I'll catch you all very very soon with more enjoy the rest of your weekend I'm not going to be podcasting tomorrow uh Got a couple of Saturday shows out for you today, uh, even after I said I was going to have a weekend off. So uh, I'm going to leave it tomorrow, spend some time with the family, the little one, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we will be back on Monday with some more Arsenal-related content. Until then, take care. Enjoy the sunshine. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.